I invite your attention, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we will start there in just a moment. I trust you had a good afternoon. How many had the opportunity to have a nap? Yes, Jesus took naps, it's true, it's scriptural, it's in the Bible, he took a nap on the ship, so I had a 20 minute one, maybe a little longer, power nap, so I'm looking forward to speaking tonight. How many of you have your Bibles with you tonight? Would you hold them up for me please here? Okay, great. How many have a black Bible? Good. How many have a white Bible? Blue Bible? Okay. Green Bible? How about a red Bible? Red's the best kind of Bible to have. R-E-A-D. Right? Very, very important. Okay. Stay involved. Stay engaged. What a wonderful service this morning with your attendance. You all have been inviting people. It was almost standing room only. There was great enthusiasm, and Beverly and I have felt so welcome here. We're very honored once again to be with you. Tonight, I shared, I was going to share steps to joy. Jesus actually lays down in Scripture a formula, but there is a little bit of surprise near the end of that. But join me and those that are physically able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me here. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we come before you once again. We pray that you'll add here to the reading of your word this message tonight. Thank you for those that have chosen to come back. Lord, uh, the weather's a little cool. It would have been easy to stay home. But I pray that when they leave here, they may say it's been good to have been in your house. We surrender this time to you now, Lord. Bless us for your sake, in your name we pray, amen. Thank you, and go ahead and be seated. You know, as we start this message, it was more than 2,000 years ago that Jesus stood there on a mountainside, and thousands of people have gathered to hear him. And we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And I would encourage you over this week to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus had, but I believe that he delivers some of the most challenging statements ever recorded. But he shares, I believe, what people even today, what we truly desire. He shares here this formula, a promise of genuine joy. And as I mentioned, it's recorded for us here as the Sermon on the Mount. See, the Bible tells us in James, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And you've heard the challenges that have been put forth about the remodel on the building, about the soul winning, about the activities. 
So just don't hear, be, be engaged, be involved with them. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we call these the Beatitudes. That means blessed. That means happy. That means fortunate. That means divine joy. And if we follow the steps he has laid for us here in exact order, happiness and joy according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's eight different characteristics, and we're going to go through these pretty quickly so you can follow along. First of all, the poor in spirit. Chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. This is an individual that feels broke. This is a person that would feel bankrupt. This would be a person that almost feels destitute. What it is, it's a recognition that God is needed in your life. And you're wanting to seek after God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. I appreciate what was shared here right before I came. Yes, there are some people that are feeling broken, that are feeling hurt. But he says that he is nigh to them of a broken heart, and he saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And in Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. In other words, we, we recognize that we're empty. We recognize that we need a Savior. We recognize that we need God in our heart and in our life. And we realize that we are broken, and we can't fix ourselves. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Then the next characteristic, it says, those who mourn. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. Oh, those that are willing to mourn, it says, they will be comforted. Those that are hurting, the sins that break our heart, and we mourn and we turn toward God, and that is repentance. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what repentance needs. You were headed one direction, and you turn back toward the Lord, and you've accepted him, and now you're moving in this direction. So the pains of life that you're experiencing right now, God can heal, and God can comfort. But sometimes we overlook something that is so important in our heart and life, and I, I believe this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come alongside. He wants to help us. For the believer, look with me in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, drop down to verse number 7. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. This is Jesus Christ speaking. He's going to be leaving his disciples. His crucifixion's coming up. He's, he's going to ascend to heaven. He says, for if I go not away, the Comforter, notice it's, it's capitalized. That's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And then John 15, 26, but when the Comforter, again, the Holy Spirit is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you and I, as a believer, we have the comforter. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and our temple now belongs to him. And he empowers us, and he helps us, and he comforts us, and he directs us. But we overlook it sometimes. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of what? All comfort. I don't know how many times that I've received a phone call from a family, and they've lost a loved one. And I try to remind them immediately. The Bible says that he's a God of comfort. What happened recently, we had a gentleman that had some health issues, difficulty breathing. He had been really battling some things for like about three years. His wife dropped him off there at the emergency room, and it took him all night to find a room for him. She goes home. Now, after church on Sunday, I went to visit him, and I called the hospital, and they told me, I'm sorry, we don't have anyone by that name. And that can happen. Sometimes they get transferred to another hospital. Sometimes they get released. Sometimes the system just doesn't work. So I called his wife, and she said, well, I dropped him there. I'm getting ready to go see him. I called the hospital again, and they sent me to the nurse's station. So that was a signal right there. She called me back, so I hung up, picked up the phone, and she said, Jim, they can't find him. I don't know where he is. I can't find him. But I knew what had happened. During the night, her husband had passed away. The hospital, due to a clerical error, did not have the correct phone number course she calls me back she's devastated and I reminded her really almost of this same verse here that he is a God of comfort he promises to come alongside look at verse 4 there it says who comforteth us in all our tribulation what is tribulation tribulation or problems it's things that we're going through sometimes it's things that are uncomfortable Sometimes it's things where God seems to be squeezing us and pushing us out of the mold, the way we used to live or what we used to do. Sometimes he redirects our life. Anyway, which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And those of you that have been down this path, you have been comforted by God. You can come alongside and you can help your brother or sister in Christ, maybe that's going through the same thing, that you went through. That sometimes what happens in our heart and life in our ministry through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the next one is the meek. Verse 5 of chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The harassed. Meekness. Meekness is power under control. It's like the taming of a wild coat. Colt has all that power and that strength, but you're able to control it. You know, the Bible says there's only two people that were called meek. One was who in the Old Testament? Moses. And who was it in the New Testament? It was Jesus. That's right. The one for Moses is Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Here, here Moses is a leader 
two and a half million people, as they're, they're going through the desert there, he was called a meek man. And, and Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, one of my favorite verses, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Ye shall find rest unto your souls. Come unto me, all ye that labor, he says, I will give you rest. So here we have the meek there that Christ has promised to help us on these different areas. Now, these first three Beatitudes, I think they really teach us about steps to becoming what I believe as a believer. Spiritually, you're broke, you're bankrupt, you're poor. You have sin that breaks your heart, so you mourn, and then you surrender to Christ. You become meek. You say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Save my soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. So now you've embraced Christ as your personal Savior. What's, what's the next step here? See, we're going down this, we're going up this ladder. The next step here says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, when you get hungry, you eat different meals. Now, some of you like McDonald's. Some, oh, I heard an amen over there. Some of you like Taco Bell. Some of you like uh, the, the steakhouse. We, we have different meals. And even when you come here, when you hear me speak, sometimes it's going to be just a regular meal. And then sometimes it's going to be an exceptional meal. We understand that. But when you're hungry, you eat. And, and when you eat, generally, you're satisfied, correct? But you know, when you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you began to study him, and you began to study the Holy Spirit, you began to study the Bible, you're not satisfied. You want to keep growing. You want to keep learning. That you hunger and thirst after righteousness. I've said this verse probably three times since I've been here. In Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing. Hearing how? By the word of God. So you're feeding upon God's word. And I don't know how you're growing. I know you come to... I appreciate you being here tonight. You're here for the morning service. You're here for the evening service, the midweek service, uh, maybe your Sunday school class. Hopefully you're spending time in the Word. Here, here's what happens. The Bible tells us, Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I was recently convicted, even by my pastor, as he spoke here a Sunday night or two ago. He was talking about the average number of hours that people that are retired watch per day or per week. It shocked me when he told me, 60 hours a week. And that's because we don't have any people that are retired. Maybe they're not working. So they'll get up in the morning, they'll, they'll turn the news on, but they'll leave the TV on, and it'll go, and it'll go, and it'll go, and it'll go. But for those of you that are younger, are you aware of how much what's called screen time you're using on your phone, looking at that? And what do you do when you're looking at Facebook? What's that called? You're scrolling, like, like. Oh, I love that one, yeah. Oh, I don't like that one. Yeah. But we're, look at what, okay, look at your own phone. Look at the screen time per day 
that you're using. And then compare that to the time you're in this. Okay? Is that a fair, is that a fair assessment there? Amen. So it's a conviction. I spoke about my brother a little bit before, professor at Baptist Bible College. And it was through a basketball outreach in Middletown, Ohio, that he came to know Christ as Savior. He surrendered to go to ministry, and then I surrendered. And he was a junior or senior when I was getting ready to go to Bible college, and he gave me a Bible, and I still got it on my shelf. He said in the front of my Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And you know, in my heart and life, that has been true. Every bit of it. Think about your own heart. This book will keep you from sin. If you're in the book and you're reading and you're studying it and you're applying it to your heart and life, you're going to be close to the Lord. But if you begin to ignore his book, you begin to ignore hearing God's word, you, you begin to ignore that, then you're going to allow sin to come into your heart and life, and it's going to pull you away from the most important things, your relationship there with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Look with me in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Go to verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word. Someone had a motto for the new year, less talking, more action. You know, when I counsel couples in, in their marriage, and there's something that's taken place within the marriage, and, and the husband apologizes, and says he's going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it better. Actions speak louder than words. And I make them underline that. You can say you're going to do this, you can say you're going to do that, but your actions need to be there. Actions are important. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of a man he was. When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you can tell if you need to comb your hair or fix your eyebrows or whatever, whatever's going on. Do you say good morning? Or, oh, good morning, you know. <laughs> but the Bible says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. Another step on the ladder is the merciful. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is someone that's willing to be a helper, someone that comes alongside. Now, the Bible has an amazing story. There was a king, and uh, he was owed a lot of money. In fact, the servant owed him 10,000 talents. Now, each talent is worth probably then what's $1,000 in our money today. So this is an enormous amount. This is like $10 million today. This servant owes this to the king. 
And the servant comes before the king, and this is what he says. Matthew chapter 18, verse 26, if you want to turn there. The servant therefore fell down, worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, I will pay thee all. Now, it's impossible. He'll never be able to pay that off. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him all the debt. How would you feel if you were to receive payment and all your debts were completely paid? House paid off, car paid off, retirement funded. What, how would you feel? Wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you rejoice and be happy? Sure you would. Well, this servant now encounters one of his own fellow servants who owes him money. Pick up the story there in verse 28. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. He laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went, cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. Did you note, he said the same exact words that he had said to the king. Have patience with me, I will repay you. A hundred pence, a pence is a penny. One day's wages, a hundred days wages back then, maybe $2,000 today, okay? Wow, $10 million has been forgiven. This guy owes him $2,000. He sends him to debtor's prison. It's reported to the king. Now notice verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, came and told their Lord all that was done. What was his response? Notice verse 32. Then his Lord... After he called him, he said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts Forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Wow. That's the story of forgiveness. In other words, you have been forgiven. You've been forgiven a lot. You've been forgiven of your sins. So be careful how you treat your brothers and your sisters, obviously, in Christ. So as we receive mercy, we should exhibit it toward others. That's, that's what's being spelled out here for us. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. You're very familiar with it, I'm sure. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, And be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Don't forget the mercy that's been extended to you. Don't, don't forget what Christ has done for you. Be willing to forgive. That compassion, that means with passion. It means I received it from God. I'm going to extend it to you. In a marriage, learn to overlook the faults of each other. In marriage, don't keep score. 
And then when you sit down and have an argument, you bring all these things up and bring it back to the table. Once it's been forgiven, it's forgotten, you move on. Overlook the little things. Well, the next step is the pure in heart, chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is speaking about the holy, the pure. So some of you work, some of you are mechanics, some of you work outside. You get your clothes dirty, what do you do? You put them in the washer. And you add a little bit of soap and downy and whatever. And, and that washer takes them and finishes and they're clean. You have a grain flour that's sifted and it's cleared of all its impurities. And the Bible says that we're supposed to be sincere. The word sincere means without wax. Back in Christ's day, there were many that would set up and they would sell pottery. And someone would buy a vase and what the owner of the vase would do, it had a crack in it. And, and they would take something and try to seal it and with wax. And then you would take that vessel home, maybe pour some water in it or add some soup to it or something. What would happen? It would leak because it's, it's defective. It's not sincere. So those that were selling the right type of pottery that did not have cracks in them, that did not have wax in them, the sign would be there that it was sincere. Are you sincere? Are there cracks in your heart and life? Are there things that we're trying to cover up so no one else can see them? Now, God sees us all. We know that. But are you truly sincere without wax? You're not going to be a phony. You're going to be genuine. You're going to be authentic. Sometimes the Bible teaches us that we do face temptation. Look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Two different things there. One is temptation. One is being tested. Temptation is the idea of a fish hook. And the fish hook has a bait on it. And it's dropped into the water. And that worm's there and it's wiggling around. And the fish sees that bait. What does the fish do? He will bite the hook. And he's hooked. That's what happens with temptation. Temptation comes. It entices you. It draws you away. It really can hurt your heart and hurt your life. That's what temptation does. Now, to be tested, that's different. When you're tested by the Lord, the idea of being tested, good is going to come forth. But when you're facing temptation, only bad is going to come forth. That's what the book of James is teaching us there. And then verse 9 tells us about the peacemakers. I'm thankful I've spoken with several here in this church that I would place in this category. They're peacemakers. They're trying their best to calm the entire situation here. They're healers. They want the church family to join together, to be reconciled. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say unto you, 
Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil, on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. But someone here that's a peacemaker, there's someone that is calm. There's someone that's in control. There's someone that exudes wisdom. There's someone that searches and seeks for discernment. And it's biblically based. You're wanting to be positive. I love this morning service. There was a lot of enthusiasm here. You do know that enthusiastic for Christ, entheos means God in you. And that's what brings forth the true, genuine enthusiasm. Well, this steps to joy. Poor in spirit, those that mourn, the meek, hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Hey, we're almost to the top of the ladder. Jesus has given this formula, steps to joy. Here's the surprise. Notice verse 10. Blessed are they which are, what's the next word? Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted? I thought we were talking about joy. Why is this one at the top? Here's why. The world doesn't understand how to respond to believers who live for Christ. When you take strong convictions and you live a certain way, you have a certain lifestyle, you have a certain speech, you have certain mannerisms, you're rearing your family in the things of the Lord. When they're around you, being an unbeliever, they become very uncomfortable. And how do they respond sometimes? Sometimes they will persecute you. Sometimes they will put you down. Sometimes they will belittle you. Sometimes they'll make fun of you. Sometimes they won't even come to a family dinner because you're going to be there. When you're at this level, then you understand true Christianity joy. As you embrace these qualities, then you become a true witness for Christ. You fulfill his promises, as I said this morning, by being salt and by being light. You can dispel that darkness. One last passage. Join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. As you've looked at these different characteristics, eight of them, and you're desiring that joy in your heart and life, let's look together in Philippians 2 verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will, to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. That's a tough verse. We tend to like to run our mouth. We tend to like to murmur. We like to complain. There'll be something I said tonight, you'll go home. Boy, I didn't like how he said that. You know, you're going to murmur. <laughs> There's going to be disputing. You're going to have difference of opinions. But Christ says, wait a minute. Do all things without murmuring, disputing. Why? That you may be blameless, harmless, 
the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, as believers, we are on full display. And you make a difference as a true believer, a disciple, a follower of Christ. And I'm thankful for that personal relationship that we have with Christ. We're going to go ahead and bow our heads together and start an invitation number here that's going to play quietly. This won't be a long, drawn-out invitation. We're thankful for those that know Christ. And if the Lord has spoken to you in any way, in any manner, the altar obviously is open. But I hope that today as we've been here, we've tried to do our best to honor the Lord and maybe to stir you up in remembrance and to love the Lord, to be willing to have a heart of forgiveness, be willing to overlook the faults of others, be willing to really desire the power of the Holy Spirit to be present in your heart and life. And if, as she plays, if there's anything in your heart that you feel that you need to surrender to Him right there where you're at, you can take that opportunity to do so even right where you're seated.